Wasn't that a beautiful song? Wow. Once we've tasted of the goodness of mercy and we've drank of the fountain of grace, how can this world have any attraction for us anymore? Only Jesus can quench the thirsting of our hearts and only he can satisfy us. You know, when you really love someone, you want to please them, don't you? Husbands and wives do this all the time. And in order to do that, you have to know that person very well. You want to know what's their favorite color. You want to know what's their favorite food. You want to know what their favorite movie is or TV show. Or You want to do things that make them happy. You want to please them. And the same thing is true in pleasing God. We want, him, we want to know him more and know how we may please him more in our lives. The Bible tells us what pleases God and what even delights God. You know, nowadays in customer service, they've taken it to another level because years ago it used to be you always want to please the customer. Customer is always right. Well, nowadays they've tried to take customer service up a, a notch and now they want to delight the customer. Not just please them, but they want to delight them. They want the customer experience to be the best it can be. And so we too as Christians don't want to just please the Lord. We want to delight the Lord. We want to do those things that make him proud of us. From the morning when we get up until the evening when we go to bed at night, it should be our goal. It should be our desire to please him, to delight in him. And this morning, the topic that we're going to look at is what God delights in. And there's three things that he delights in. He delights in those who fear him. Secondly, he delights in those who hope in his mercy. And isn't that wonderful how the song just ties right into that? And then third, what God delights in is he delights in those who obey him as well. You know, in the, ta in the verse we're going to read this morning, Psalm 47, in verses 10 and 11, it talks about what God delights in, but it also talks about what he does not delight in and what he does not take pleasure in. And Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11 says this, He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does, takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, in the days that the scripture was written in the Psalms, they used to have very powerful horses that they would ride out into battle with. And they had horses that pulled the chariots and so forth. And so you needed a very good horse. And the ones that went into battle, these horses were strong and powerful and, and courageous, and they went out with a person riding on them. But God doesn't take pleasure in the, in, the, in the horse. You know, nowadays we don't ride horses as our means of transportation. Some ride horses out of pleasure and things, and Victoria has her own horse, and she trains horses and things like that, which is very beautiful. And I love to see these powerful animals run because they're, they're so strong and majestic. If you ever watch them, they'll show them on TV in different places, and they're galloping at their fast rate. 
and it's really amazing. But God doesn't delight in anything earthly or materially. He delights in his people. And that's what he delights in the most. It says, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and in those who hope in his mercy. The definition of the word delights is really amazing. It says, something that gives great pleasure. Not just pleasure, but great pleasure. And we, when we delight in the Lord and seek to do those things which delight him, our lives take on new meaning and new impacts for others around us. So we're very thankful for that. And let's look today at our first point in those who fear him. Yes, you know, God considers you precious in his sight. He considers me precious in his sight. He considers us like precious jewels. And he considers us so blessed in his. We are his saints. We are his children. We are those who are followers of Christ. And he has a special relationship with each one of us who knows the Lord. And we trust that everyone here does know the Lord as their Savior. And if you do not yet know him as your Lord and Savior, today is the best day to come to know him and accept him as your Savior. Well, first of all, God delights in those who fear him. Have you ever noticed how many times it says that in Scripture? It's many, many times. It talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is that holy reverence that we hold him in. And when you go and stand before, say, a political dignitary like a president or a prime minister or the Queen of England, whoever it be, you have that respect. You have that respect because you want to you want to please that person and you want to give them the honor that is fitting for them. And everything that we say and everything that we do should be to the honor and glory of the Lord. Yes, this expression is so beautiful. And it says in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the God which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, serve the Lord. Yes, it's important for us to fear the Lord. And all through Scripture, those who love the Lord, His saints, His people, feared Him and served Him. And yet it seemed like it was always a minority, a remnant, as the Bible says, are the few that follow in the ways of the Lord. There are many who name the name of Christ, but there are so few that live it, live Christ. And we want to be those who live for him and fear him all the days of our lives. In the days of King Jehoshaphat, he had an impact upon the people that he ruled over in Judah. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 19 and verse 9, And he, that is Jehoshaphat, commanded them, saying, Thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart. What a goal that is for us today, to act in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart. The fear of the Lord causes people to honor and obey the Lord. And the fear of the Lord causes us to hate evil and the wicked ways of this world. 
Sometimes I feel like a fish out of water, don't you? In this society we're living in today, there's so much sin around us, so much corruption and evil. We just say, Lord, come quickly and take us home to heaven. We can't stand it anymore. The, the water is like the water of this world is like the evil and it's rising. It starts at your ankles. It moves up to your knees. It goes up to your, to your waist and then pretty soon it's up to your neck. That's where we are right now with the evil around us. We're up to here with it. We can barely breathe in this world as Christians. We need to stand for the Lord and fear Him. It says in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Yes, the fear of the Lord is so important. A man named William Gurnall once said, and I think this is a, is a great quote. He said, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. Isn't that true? We fear man so much because we fear God so little. When it says you fear God, it doesn't mean we're afraid of him, but we have that awesome respect and reverence for who he is as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, the fear of the Lord. That's our first point today. He delights in those who fear him. Secondly, he delights in those who hope in his mercy. Jenny sang that in that song. And it's so true. God's mercy is around us everywhere. It's new every morning. He sends his mercy to us. And he delights in that mercy. And he wants us to delight in it as well. And when we do that and we stand for the truth, we can look at the future as bad as this world is and we can look beyond to what God has for us in the future. We hope in His mercy. You know, it's, it's not always easy to smile when things are going wrong, is it? So many times it's hard. We feel like almost hypocritical if we smile during the times of difficulty. But we as Christians can smile because the Lord is with us. He loves us. What better reason to smile than that? He not only gives us a smile, but he gives us a spring in our step because we have such a bright future. It's such a blessing. We delight in, God delights in those who hope in his mercy. C.K. Chesterton, Chesterton uh, I've quoted him before. He's a, he's a wonderful man. And he says, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is merely flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. You know, we've been praying for our dear brother Gilbert for a job for weeks, for months. And we've been praying, and I've been saying, Lord, please send him a job, Lord. Send him the perfect job. Send him the job that your will. Send him the job that will be just right for him, Lord. And the Lord answered his prayer because he put his hope in God's mercy, and God provided the job for Gilbert. And we rejoice along with him. 
and we celebrate along with him because God loves to answer our prayers and he delights those who just put their trust in him and say, Lord, I'm going to wait for your will. I'm not going to choose my will. I'm not going to take my way. I'm going to wait for your way, Lord, and for your job and for what you want me to do. You know, when you combine hope and mercy together, you have an unbeatable combination. Hope and mercy. Hope looks to the future, and mercy helps us to get there. And in Psalm 33, in verse 22, it says, Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Johnny Erickson Tata She was the one who was paralyzed in that diving accident many, many years ago. And she passed through so many trials and still has them. She said this, The best we can hope for in this life is a knothole. You know what a knothole is in the wood? A little hole in the wood you can look through. She says, The best we can hope for in life is a knothole peak at the shining realities ahead. Yet a glimpse is enough. It is enough to convince our heart that whatever sufferings and sorrows currently assail us are not worthy of comparison to that which waits over on the horizon. You know, we go through some pretty severe trials, some very, very painful experiences of life, losses of loved ones and jobs and losses of health and things that seem to always be going wrong, but... When we trust in the Lord, he shows us that there is hope and he is going to bring us through it. And these things we go through cannot compare with what the glory is that he's going to reveal in us someday. One day, Lord, you're going to come and take us home. And isn't that something we all long for? We wait for it with patience. And third, not only does God delight in those who fear him, and not only does God delight in those who put their hope in his mercy, but God delights in those who obey him. Yes, that delights the Lord when we obey him. Whatever the Lord says, we do it. Whatever the Lord wants us to do, whatever his will is, we do it. And when we do that and we have that kind of attitude, he will bless our lives. But when we want our own way, When we disobey him, he's not going to bless us. There is no way. Saul found that out when God asked him to go out and defeat all of the Amalekites. These were wicked people. They had mistreated Israel. They had caused so many problems. And God had given them chance after chance after chance. And then he sent Saul out as the first king of Israel. And he told him to go out and completely wipe out all the Amalekites. And it says in 1 Samuel 15, 3, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. All. That key word is all. All means all. It means everything. But he didn't do that. And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. But what did Saul do? He, first of all, kept King Agag, who is the leader and king of of the Amalekites. He kept him alive. He shouldn't have. That was one. The other thing is he kept back all the animals that were good and 
did not destroy them. That was the second thing. So he failed to completely obey the Lord. And we know that partial obedience is really disobedience. And so God wants us to obey him completely. And if he says all, we need to do all. Not 98%, not 99%, not even 99.9%. I carry around with me, you know, the... the uh, Perel or whatever you have, the sanitizer, right? And they advertise on there, it's for legal purposes, that it's 90, it kills 99.9% of the germs. That sounds pretty good, but what about the, <laughs> the little bit that it doesn't, right? But when God says do all, he means to do all. And he wants us to be completely obedient to him. In 1 Samuel 15, in verse 22, it says, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. You know what delighted God is when Abraham obeyed him, and when God said, take your son Isaac, your only son, and go and offer him up on the mountain that I will show you, he went out, got up early in the morning, and went out to the place, and he was ready to carry that out, and God stopped him, and then there was a ram caught in the thicket, and we know the story, how God spared him from killing his son, and he tested Abraham's faith, and Abraham's faith was obedient to the Lord all the way through, through and through. Yes, God is pleased when we obey him immediately, when we obey him completely, and we obey him with all our hearts. Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 1, Now it came to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, all again, all the commandments, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. You know what we've done as a country? We have removed that word obey from so many things today. First of all, we took it out of the marriage vows. Someone used to say it used to lend a little humor to the occasion. And what they mean by that is people weren't doing it anyway, right? But they take out the word obey from the marriage vows. They took out the word obey from child rearing. You can't make, you can't use that terminology, obey your parents anymore. That's too strict. It's too harsh. You're ruining their physical, their self image. And they, and they say that you shouldn't uh, discipline your children and all these things. They've taken that word obey out. They've taken it out of the schools. They've, they've tied the hands of the teachers. They can't discipline those kids anymore like they used to, or they'll get into trouble with the, the school district. It's amazing. They've taken the, the word obey out of the schools. They've taken it out of the workplace. The boss has to be very careful what he says to the workers nowadays. They, you can't you can't demand somebody do something. You have to ask them real nice, you know, and you have to be real sweet to them because they've taken the word obey out of the workplace. And it's caused a downward spiral in our society. It really has. It really has. 
A man named Thomas Acampus once said, instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Whoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from grace. Yes, we want to be obedient to the word and obedient to the Lord and to his will. And when we do that, it delights the Lord to see it because it's so rare in our society today. Even among Christians, people don't want to talk about these subjects because they, they want to just be mellow and, and not rock the boat. A brother named Harry Blackaby, a preacher and writer, said, if you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive from him. It will always be right and best. When he gives you a directive, you are not just to observe it, discuss it, or debate it. You are to obey it. We've become so good at discussion and debating and talking about it and just going back and forth, but we can't forget he wants us to do it. If God asks us to do anything, it's for our good and for his glory, and we should do it. But Lord, it's difficult to do. Trust me. Charles Stanley always says, obey God and what? Leave the, all the consequences to him. If he asks you to do something, trust him, do it, and he will bless you. So let's remember today what God delights in. He delights in those who delight in him. Yes, God delights in those who delight in him. His saints, his people. He delights when we fear him, when we have that respect and that reverence to just come before him and say, Lord, I love you. You've saved me. You've given me a good life. Help me to fear you always. And God delights when we hope in his mercy. Hoping in his mercy is looking at the future while living here in the present. And he gives us the strength to carry on. And God delights when we obey him from our hearts fully, completely, immediately. Before we conclude this message, let's just remember, you are a jewel. You are precious in God's sight. You are one of his saints. You are one of a kind. All of us are special to him. And he loves each and every one of us. I wrote this little song. It would be nice to have put it to, to the music and, and play it, but I'm just going to read it to you. It says this. God delights in us his treasure, those who fear his name. God delights when we hope in him without any shame. God delights when we obey him fully all the way. God delights in us, his saints, each and every day. God delights in his own people, the ones for whom Christ died. He shed his blood at Calvary to make us his holy bride. If we could now just see him, the smile upon his face, how happy we have made him, resting in his grace. This life will soon be over, and we will hear his voice. Well done, my faithful servant. Now you can rejoice. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and his wonderful example of coming down to this earth to do your will. Lord, it meant going to the cross of Calvary and suffering and bleeding and dying, but he did it because he loved us 
He loved you and he wanted to save us, Lord. And we're so thankful. And we pray, Lord, that our lives would delight you, Lord, in how we fear you and how we hope in your mercy and how we obey you. Lord, help us to be an example to those around us of those who love Jesus and follow him. Lord, we just thank you today and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.